Hey everybody, welcome back to the Hyrith and Other Words podcast. I am your host, Timothy Mangle, and I would like to wish you a very happy Easter. Uh, yeah, Easter is like one of my favorite holidays, um, just because of what it means and what it represents, and it's so it's so rich and it's it's so overflowing with beautiful meaning and, and symbolism and all that fun stuff um so yeah i just hope that uh regardless of this podcast and what else whatever else you got going on today i just hope that uh yeah you're you're encouraged and uh yeah just ready for springtime and, and whatever else that this season holds for you um yeah, just kind of right off the bat before we dive into uh, the topic at hand, I just want to say thank you to my Patreon supporters. Um, I just feel like I never really thank you guys straight up and, and outright, so I just wanted to do that. So thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, all of your support and yeah, everything that you do for the podcast. And um, yeah, and everyone who's been listening and just coming along on this journey and sending me messages about, you know, what you're thinking, about how a certain episode speaks to you or whatever it is, you know, all of that. I, I really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, I just ask that you would continue to let me know. I, I love I love doing this. Um, it gets me very excited to talk about these things. Um, yeah, so thank you for that. Thank you for giving me a platform. You know, obviously I would... Sp- if no one was listening, I, I wouldn't have a reason to do this. So this is all for you. So thank you for hanging in there with me. And uh, yeah. Oh, man. So um, last week we had Anthony on the podcast, Anthony Blackwell. And then the week before that, I did a solo episode called Palm Leaves and Political Revolution. This is going to be a continuation off of that episode, which was uh, episode number 28, which means this is episode uh, 30, which is, again, it's, it's, that's very exciting. And I, I wouldn't have 30 episodes if I didn't feel like people were listening. And yeah, so, you know, this isn't just a, a little bit of a milestone for me. It's for all of us. It's for this podcast. Uh, so, yay, we made it to 30. Here's the 30 more. Clink. Um, yeah, but, uh, so if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I would encourage you to go back and do that because that'll kind of give you some context, um, for what we're going to be talking about this week. I am going to be doing a a little bit of a summation in about two seconds. So if you just want to listen to that, that's totally fine. Just hang out for, uh, to the end of this sentence. (laughs) All right. So let's, let's kind of recap where we um, where we were two weeks ago, because it's been two weeks, had another podcast in between. Something that there was two things that I really tried to highlight in uh, the last episode, the last solo episode that I did, uh, episode 28. And the two things would be, um, one is the the how the disciples viewed Jesus or how they viewed this Messiah figure that was promised to them. Um, we have a very spiritual, um, almost solely spiritual under uh, I won't say solely, but vastly a a spiritual understanding of Jesus. When we we think about the the person of Jesus, it's almost entirely in the context of uh, spirituality or a religious sense. 
But when the disciples were thinking about these things, um, again, the disciple, the, the disciples being the followers of Jesus, the, you know, the ones that followed him in the flesh and blood, not just now, but actually in the, in the context of the story, the, the 12 disciples who followed him, um, they would have perceived Jesus more as a political figure rather than a spiritual figure. Um, and like it went into last week, um, that this is, uh, has something to do with a long history of Israel, um, the, the, the prophecies and the context around the time of those prophecies and, and all of those things. So again, um, if, if you haven't go check out that episode, um, but yeah, they, they just had a very political view of, of Jesus and they believed that he was going to, that this Messiah that was promised was going to come in and be the ruling king over Israel and kind of bring Israel back to a former power that it hadn't had in thousands of years. Um, and then the second thing that I was trying to point out in the episode was this idea of Jesus's continual call of meekness or lowliness or, or weak, proper weakness, not just, I can't do it weakness, but actual, um, humility and yeah, whatever that entails. Um, and obviously that was the, uh, Palm Sunday episode a week prior to Palm Sunday. So I kind of tied that all up in this Palm Sunday message because Palm Sunday was Jesus riding into Jerusalem um, and then he was crucified in less than a week later. So that's why Palm Sunday comes before uh, what is called Holy Week or is really the beginning of Holy Week, which ends with uh, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Again, it should just be called Good Sunday as well. Is it called Good Sunday? I don't know. Um, yeah. Um, so, okay, so let's kind of pick up where the story left off. So where the story leaves off is we have Jesus now in Jer Jerusalem during um, getting ready what would be, again, this is all kind of covered in the last episode, but he's getting ready for the biggest Jewish festival that's celebrated annually called the Passover, which is held on the same weekend of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, if I can kind of step back a second outside of the story and just go fully into Timmy mode, well, it's like, of course, this happens on the same week because it's it has something to do with the psychology of all of the stuff that's involved. And, and I mean, the phys like a human psychology, a human's perspective, also like nature and the, the patterns and the seasons that it's playing out. So, again, there's a part of it just like loves the, um, I don't know, the, the symmetry of it all or the, the serendipitous coincidence of, um, you know, these two major religious holidays happening on the same week. Who would have thunk it? Um, so when Jesus is coming into town, again, remember that the disciples around him all believe that he's going to be doing something that is overtly political, um, whether that would be... Uh, it, uh, for them, it's always going to look something along the lines of overthrowing who is who was in charge of them at the time, who were the Romans, and then 
restoring Israel back to having their own king, um, having their own kingdom, having their own freedoms to practice their laws and their religion exactly how they wanted um, without any interference from whatever, you know, outside countries, what have you. Um, that's what the disciples were envisioning Jesus to be doing. Now, I, I keep hammering this home because it's very important to kind of the context of this story that I'm calling, uh, or rather this sermon or message that I'm calling, Hope in an Empty Grave. So, Jesus gets to town, the disciples all think that something big is about to happen, and the first thing in the, in the, the Gospel of Matthew, I believe, and I may have mentioned this last week, that the first thing that Jesus does when he gets into Jerusalem is he goes right to the temple and it, he does what is called the cleansing of the temple. And I would say most people who, whether you're spiritual or not spiritual, you're probably aware of this story. Um, because this is the story where Jesus uh, chases out all the money launderers and uh, all that kind of fun stuff out of the temple. People just selling stuff at high prices, um, money launderers, tax um, collectors, all of these things. Um, he, he cleanses them from the temple and he says, uh, my father's house will be a house of prayer. And so, again, I'm, I'm going to be telling this story almost solely from the, the perspective of the disciples. Um, so there's not going to be a whole lot of theological implications in a lot of this, but it's going to be very practical. Um, and, and, and again, because we're very lucky where we are to have the hindsight and have all the years of you know scholars and theologians and prophets and priests who have helped interpret it the life of Jesus to us, but for the disciples, they had a completely new, fresh, and, you know, the most authentic understanding of Jesus. So that's why I want to go from their perspective. Um, so yeah, they're, they're watching this man that they've been following now for three years do something incredibly radical, right? Um, he he chases these people out of the temple. He, he shows a level of authority that is incredibly high because he's going into the temple as someone who doesn't, you know, it, it's, it's like going into a church nowadays and, and cleansing one of those churches or, or getting rid of all the hypocrisy in it. Um, now I don't, I don't know what that looks like nowadays. And I, I have the example of Jesus, um, but again, you're you're from the disciples' perspective. You're seeing this man display a level of power and authority over everything that you've never seen before. And again, not just it's not just in the context of cleansing the temple, but a, this is just the building on of you know you've seen this man multiply food, you've seen him heal sick people, you've seen him walk on water, all of these things. And this there's this man that has just overwhelming amount of power and authority and so of course we kind of naturally go on this trajectory of well yeah then he's the guy that should be in charge he should be the one that's put up there to to tell us how it is or, or whatever and it uh, yeah 
where do I want to go from here? <laughs> so the disciples, they're standing there, they're watching this man cleanse the temple, and like I'm saying, they're they're of course being like, yeah, this is this is our guy, this is it, this is the beginning of the political revolution that not only have I been waiting for my whole life, but my mother, my father, my father's father, my mother's mother, like it just it goes on back in this Jewish bloodline for forever of this waiting for this political revolution to be able to bring Israel back to this former state of glory that it had back in the, the time of King David and King Solomon. And again, all that's in the, the last episode, um, last solo episode. And, you know, they're, they're seeing this and, and they're, they have to be so stoked. And I talked about this again on the last episode, last solo episode, was this week, uh, Holy Week, Jesus spent that whole time kind of preaching against false religion, um, just calling them on their shit. I'm sorry to be crass, but that's just what it was. He he called them whitewashed tombs. You know, it's you look good on the outside, but there's death with inside of you. That's what that means. These aren't these aren't nice things to say, um, but but Jesus was doing it. And he was doing it because he was trying to start something. It had. It had been too long of just this okay status quo, and and this is why pe- this is why the disciples were so amazed at him cleansing the temple, was because again, no one else has ever acted like this. No one else has ever done anything like this, and again, to just see this man continue to you know question authority and to call them on their shit and to to really be trying to point everyone back to this this right way of living. Of course the disciples are going to be like, yes, this is our guy. Yes, 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 yes. And as you know, Good Friday approaches, you you narratively there's this sense of yes, this is it. We are on our way to being the king of the crop, you know. And again, now imagine if you've been hearing your whole life that about this Messiah guy that it's going to come and, and restore all of Israel. Again, put yourself in these, these people's shoes. And now they're, he, you can touch him. He's, he called you to be a part of his ministry. Of course, there's going to be this ego that wells up inside of you and saying, oh my goodness, I'm going to be right next to the guy when the guy is running everything. That's, you know, that's great. And I think that's 100% where the you know, most of the disciples were at come Good Friday. Um, and, you know, one of Jesus' last acts before, um, before his crucifixion, he gathered all of his disciples together and he washed their feet. Now, last episode, last solo episode, uh, I talked when we were talking about Jesus riding in on the donkey. I talked about this idea of, you know, Jesus representing divinity, donkey representing lowliness, palm leaves representing divinity, and then human beings representing again lowliness, and then them all kind of being smushed together there, just being kind of converging a little bit all in that that imagery. And then the next image that we really get between those two groups is this washing of the feet. So the intimacy between God and 
man or, or the peak of divinity and the, the lowliness of lows, that they're, they're coming even closer together. And I, I love it. I, I just, I'm always, I always want to sit back and appreciate those images because for me personally, I've, I've always had, whenever I feel very distanced from, from God or whatever that means or not aligned with myself or just off or like there's something missing from my life, Whatever that is, I love seeing symbols of its closeness, of its, its, you know, it's washing your feet. It's, it's the same water that's on his hands are on their feet, and it's, it's beautiful. It's this, it's this closeness, and it's, and it's closeness, and that's, again, it's. I'm just going to get passionate about it, but like that's the heart of the Christian message is that, and that's the point of even the crucifixion, kind of to, to go down that road a little bit, is the, the crucifixion is really where you see the full convergence of man and divinity because it's God experiencing the, the abandonment of God. And that's, that's what Jesus cries out on Good Friday. He says, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And again, think about that. That is... That's complete meeting of man and God is this idea of feeling absolute abandon, but also being the person that you're feeling abandoned from. And I just I just love that imagery that's all wrapped up in the crucifixion and, and all of those things. So that I kind of just looked at it from an outsider's perspective. But again, now let's go into the crucifixion. This 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 man who you think is, you know, he's going to be the king, he's going to be the ruler over everything that you know. He's washing your feet. And it has to be so confusing for the disciples because this is just so subversive of how they've seen someone use their power. And this is kind of what we're talking about a little bit this week is this, well, not really, but apparently I keep coming back to this idea of Jesus and his authority and his power and and again and how subversive that was or you, yeah and just you're not expecting it you know the status quo for rabbis at the time was to to be you know worshiped and to be seen, put up on a pedestal and seen as more important and bigger than than everyone else and and again if you're you're thinking that this this rabbi that you follow is going to be the future king, of course you assume that he's going to have this high, kind of puffed up version of himself. But again, we don't see that with Jesus. And I don't think the the disciples understood that because they didn't, they weren't trying to, yeah, it just didn't click in their brains because they were trying to see Jesus in a way that he wasn't meant to be seen. So the washing of the feet, I think for the most part, it was wasted on them because I, I think they really didn't understand it. They were just like, why are you doing this? And yeah. Um, so, I mean, maybe, I mean, this is me just thinking out loud, but that might even be part of the reason why Judas, I mean, that and the money, but why Judas portrayed him because it's just like, well, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. He's not, and Judas was... A special case because Judas was actually um, a religious um, a religious extremist, which is Iscariot. So Judas's name is Judas Iscariot, and Iscariot wouldn't have been a last name; it would have been a title, and it's something akin to it, 
it's coming from a a word that is a it's a form of belief and so it would be like tim the christian or something like that so it's or tim the whatever philosophy or whatever so it would be this name with kind of this tag on the end and that's what judas iscariot was he was this kind of radical who like everyone else wanted this place of power in over israel and so if he's seeing you know the guy who's supposed to do it and he's being lowly and he's riding a donkey and he's washing people's feet this isn't these aren't typical king-like behaviors you know these are just kind of weird acts that I, some guy is doing and i didn't really plan on talking about G, uh, judas's motivation but hey there we are so judas sells out jesus to the priest who had been planning on uh, taking Jesus and crucifying him because of what happened at the temple as well as just his teachings. And uh, there's this really good book called Jesus, the Son of God by the man who wrote the prophet. And I can't remember or ever pronounce his name, but uh, just Google the Son of God. Kaleen Gebel? I always forget his name. Sorry. Just look up the prophet the book and then take that author and then look up the son of god by him uh or the son of man rather jesus the son of man oh boy um anyways the jesus the son of man um is this book with each chapter is a different perspective on jesus and there's this brilliant chapter where they talk about it's it's written from the perspective of the religious uh, a certain religious leader during this time who again this isn't doesn't matter if this actually happened or not. This is just a story. He was there, and he was one of the 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 Jews and the uh, the Jewish leaders who really pushed to have Jesus crucified. And in this chapter of this book, he says, "Listen, he was causing a muck. He was telling poor people that they were going to be blessed, and they were. He was coming into the temple and acting however he wanted. These these aren't ways that we can allow to go on in society, and." Not that I agree with him and this fake made-up story, but I, I really think that that helps us understand the perspective of the people who did actually kill Jesus. That they obviously, I think there was a little bit of wickedness in their heart, but they were they that wickedness came from, or yeah, they were. There was this mixture of them trying to do what's right, but it's also an egotistical, like, oh, it's right for us to remain in charge. He, this man is questioning the status quo. We got to get rid of him. Um, and that's what they did. So, again, let's go back to the disciples' perspective. And I think for the disciples, it had to be one of those nights where just like, I mean, I, I think nights like this are almost incomparable unless you've lived through something almost akin to it. Because, again, I don't even know if anyone could live through anything that's remotely akin to this. Because you spend, again, just put yourself in, in these the disciples' sandals. They spent three years every day walking around with this guy, doing whatever he told you. And, and because you believed he was going to be the ruler over Israel. And now he's betrayed by one of our own. And he's he's being flogged. He's being tried. Um, 
He's being stripped naked and, and beaten. He's being spit upon. And the craziest thing about Jesus during all that time is that he doesn't do anything that would be typical of someone, A, who's wrongly accused. He's he's not trying to defend himself. You know, in, in the Bible, when they come to get Jesus, uh, I believe it's Peter cuts off one of the, the Roman guards' ears, and Jesus goes and heals the guy's ear. You know, it's he understands that he's about what he's about to go through, but the disciples don't. They're just like, what? What is happening? This, you know, like, if if you're going to use your magic powers to do something, Jesus, about the, the state of the world, now is the time to do it, right? Like, you know, if, it, I think from their perspective, because it's like you've seen this man do miraculous things. You've seen him do crazy stuff. And, you know, he, he tells you about this kingdom that he's going to have and, and and all these things. And, you know, everyone always shits on the disciples for leaving Jesus during the crucifixion. And, you know, it's part of Jesus' path and his journey to be deserted by all these people. But think about why they did it. They just spent three years, you know, walking around tooting this dude's horn, you know, very openly being like, I follow this guy no matter what. His word is is gospel. I'm, I'm, and now he's being crucified by the church and the state. And you've been following him. That's very bad for you. You are not in a safe place deserting is probably not the right thing to do but it's the very instinctive thing to do they were trying to save their own hides and you know think about what what you want for that but boy i I would never assume that i would you know to be so brave and say that i would have stayed with jesus through it all and you know i don't i don't think that's true um yeah so you know the for the most part, the disciples aren't even there when he dies. It's they're alone, or Jesus is alone, minus John the disciple and his mother, and a bunch of random strangers watching him die. And I mean, again, just just looking at it from the di- disciples' perspective, of you must just feel so low because you've you know you spent three years thinking maybe this is the guy and now you started to see it and you started to see it and within a week he's dead he's just completely crushed by the state and the and the church and you're just left you're left without a leader you're left without any source of income or you know skill because you'd spent you know most of these these the disciples they would have been anywhere between you know, 12 to 18 years old when they start, or 13, 18 years old when they started following Jesus for three years. So, I mean, at, at most, you're 21 years old. You probably don't have a skill. Um, I mean, some of the disciples did, but I mean, they were being trained into this spiritual, religious, political world. And in one night, Everything that you'd been hoping for or planning for for three years just falls apart. And it falls apart gloriously. You know, like it's not just a little bit of a, uh, you know, an upset. It's you've been betrayed. So your team's fractured. 
and the leader is just gone, you know? And, I mean, they, they live with that until, you know, that happens on a, Jesus dies early on a Friday, um, like between like three and six on a Friday. And, you know, like I said, they're not even there when he dies. He's just, they're just off because they just know that you don't escape a crucifixion. Like they, yeah. And, and again, that just shows where they were at because they had seen this man do so many miraculous things, but they were so disheartened by the circumstances that they, they couldn't even hold out faith that he could have gotten out of the circumstances if he chose to. They just, they just assumed that he wasn't going to. Um, yeah, man, and that, that must have been a, a low, low, low two days, day and a half, however, you know, three days if you want to go the traditional route, but yeah, I, I can't, I can't get over that, how, how, how bad they would have felt of just like, man, did we, did we blow it, you know, and then on that Sunday, you, the, you go to the tomb and it's empty. And, you know, it's for the disciples. They didn't they didn't get that. Just, there's so many things in the in the Gospels that the disciples just don't understand. It continually goes over their heads. You know, there's multiple times in the Gospels where where Jesus talks about his that he's going to die and be resurrected. And they're just like, yeah, we don't we don't understand what you're talking about. And I I can't get over this beautiful smirking trick trickstery imagery of Christ in this moment of and and it's it's happened through this whole week and it's happened through this whole time of of getting ready as as Jesus is you know preparing them by subverting their expectations. You know, and it's it's the most beautiful thing because, like I said uh, in the other episode, the first thing he says in his public ministry is, "Blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God." And and um, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He's he's not calling to powerful. He's not calling to these these big voluptuous things he's calling to lowliness and and to meekness and that's the trickster of Jesus and and how he's you you think he's gonna go one way and then he goes the other and and I think that that's that's the beauty of what happened to the disciples is that they imagined that Jesus was going to go and have this big triumphant battle with the you know the, the church and the the, the religious leaders of the time and the you know, the Roman army and that he was going to do something that was so powerful that he was just going to you know overthrow them all and, and make them look you know small and ridiculous and man I can't tell you I how I can't tell you how many Christians I know that have the same understanding of Jesus today and the empty tombs the empty graves has that same smirk and trickster trickery to these people today because it's 
you know, I know a lot of Christians that just want a, a good Christian president and, and to have good Christian values and to, you know, bring prayer back into school and to make, you know, America Christian and all of these things. But I don't see that as Jesus's prerogative. I, what I see of Jesus's prerogative to be is caring for the lowly, caring for the orphan and the widow and the needy, the homeless, the sick. That these are the people that Jesus came for. That he didn't come to to have this big, you know, I'm in charge. This is how it's supposed to be. He he came to serve, and and that's the Gospel of Mark thirteen thirteen says the Son of Man came to serve to give his life as a ransom for many, and that's that's the that's the invitation of the Christian calling is if you want the world. To be a better place, make the world a better place. Don't go looking to you know some Messiah figure that's so far off or or whatever. But pick up your cross and and follow me. And so many Christians this Sunday are going to be sitting in church and and, and worshiping Jesus as as if he never said, "You will do greater things than these." And again, it's. Be aware of the trickster of Jesus, that he has this mentality, he has this tendency to make you think that it's going to be one way and then it turns out to be another way. And I keep thinking that, you know, we're all we're all looking for a leader or somebody else to make our lives or, or the world around us better, but I don't I don't see that figure on the horizon. And yes, it's it's right to worship Jesus, and it's and it's right to praise Him. But it's in doing so, you're supposed to imitate Him. And again, there's this call from Christ Himself to to us that we will do better things than Him. And the dude rose from the dead, and we we can't even get that right. We can't. We, it's we haven't begun to scratch the surface of the true Christian calling, and and I really do believe that. Because again, think think about this from the disciples' perspective: is they're seeing this empty grave, and they're just like they have. There has to be a part of them that's just like he just doesn't stop. He doesn't stop subverting our expectations, you know. And you know, th there's an encouragement in that for us: is that when when you think God is going to do things one way, then and it doesn't happen that way. That understand that there's another way about doing things that that God, whatever that is, houses in store for you. And so, you know, I just hear this empty grave saying to the disciples of like, you know, you you thought it was going to be this big, triumphant, glorious, you're sitting at my right hand as we rule over this this kingdom. No, man, that's that's not what it's about. It's about riding a donkey. It's about washing feet it's about being crucified alone and it's it's not a fun calling and i, I think somewhere along the way christianity was supposed to, I, I don't know it got fun it got about being fun and hip or whatever i i don't know but it's the christian calling man is this call to lowliness and, and to humility and to meekness and to love and yeah, I I see that in this this empty grave for the disciples is that they they expected they expected fireworks and 
you know, a parade and, and all of these things, but that's not what they got. But what they got turned out to be the right thing because it's this crazy notion that loving people or, or taking time to listen to people and taking time to care about people that that, you know, it, it might not. And, and, you know, Jesus didn't die and resurrect seeing his, what he would have wanted to see completed, completed, right? And, and we're not going to see that. There's, there's plenty of beautiful things that I would love to see in my life, you know, like health care for everyone, no more homeless people, no more hungry people, no more whatever, no more people without jobs or meaningful existence, whatever it is. But I also know that that can't be accomplished in my lifetime if I don't begin now to do things in the practical world that I, I touch. And I think it's it's very easy for everyone who's listening right now, and, and myself included, it's so much easier to just put something up on the internet that makes you sound like a nice person or share a good post that makes you look smart or, or caring. But what really matters is how you treat people in the everyday life. And, you know, if, if you really believe in this idea of resurrection, this idea of newness, or this idea of that, that God is able to restore and, and replenish the world and, to, and that God is with the world and that God is intimate, intimate, intimate with the sufferings of the world, then we wouldn't be looking for God in these places of power and of high upness and, and whatever, but we would see him in these, yeah, in, in the loneliness and, and in loving people who, you know, from our perspective, don't deserve that love. Um, the Christian gospel is not a, a comfortable one, and I think people say that nowadays because they're uncomfortable when they talk about their perspectives of Christianity, but what really that means is that Christianity is this religion that calls you to to die and be reborn. That there's this that there are parts of you that can be burnt away and resurrected, and that in doing that process, that you can birth out this thing called the kingdom of God that that saves and heals everything. And I I don't know. I love I love it. I love that understanding and interpretation of Christianity. It's it's practical. It's for everyone. It's it's somewhat bigger than ideologies can contain because it's about a way of being. Um, I don't know. So the hope in the empty grave for the disciples is that it's not done yet, and that there is hope. <laughs> well, I can't use the word in the definition, but that there is. Just as we've been subverted in the past, or just as things went outside of how I was expecting things to go, in a good way, you know, that that's that's the hope that we're life doesn't always turn out how we want it to be. But that doesn't mean that it's not how it should be. We don't understand life as well as we could. We don't understand the patterns and the way things fall out as well as we could. Um, and it's very easy to get mad at God or the universe or whatever you want to call it and about your crucifixions. But if you allow them and if you play that part properly and you walk through it, 
the heights to which you could resurrect is limitless beyond knowing and that again coming from the disciples perspective if if you're looking for the world to change and to be better and to to be a safer place for everyone that it's you have to go and do it and in you know because think about it this way man because if jesus wouldn't have done what he did we wouldn't have those images and those those examples to follow and you know he is, he is our great example but the the disciples once they figured out what this was about they didn't they they were like okay it's we understand it's our turn now jesus and they went out and you know fed the poor and healed the sick and and they did these things and so that's the hope that it you know it, it'll be passed to you and then you should pass it on to someone else and that it's it's not this far off somebody else is going to save you but that you have the possibility to save yourself and to save the world around you through through saving yourself so i don't know i hope i hope you're encouraged because you know this like i said this hasn't been like a very theological like i a big part of like i, I talked about earlier of the crucifixion and the resurrection and they're, again, they're, these images are so deep and they're so poignant in, in sim, symbolism and symbolic meaning that there's a thousand ways to come at it. But I really wanted to come about it in the way of, you know, I think about Easter Sunday as Jesus passing the buck to you and saying it's your turn now. It's, it's, it's go time for you. And... You know, Jesus's life and the reward thereof. You know, because we're we're all subjugated to death. We're un, we're not escaping that. Even Jesus had to die. But what a death! You know, can we live a life that our death is so poignant and and so powerful that it causes such a revolution like His did? You will do greater things than these. I don't know how greater earth these things are, but man, my prayer is that we start to live up to that. And um, my my, the part of me that's you know grateful, the the gratitude within me says you know thank you for Jesus for believing in in me to do greater things than you, to be able to resurrect like you and to heal like you and to to love like you, all of these things, and my prayer and my encouragement for you was as well as that all of that you would be able to have that that confidence and that courage that that you are a child of god you know regardless of your your gender or your political views or your religion or whatever you know, you belong to the source the loving source that created all things and so does everyone else and life only seems to work better when we acknowledge that for ourselves and for the people and the world around us i hope you have a very wonderful easter um may the lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you thank you so much for listening guys um we have a patreon that's linked below if you want to check that out to just help out some uh 
with the keep the lights on here in this room keep this tapestry up um yeah uh next week i'm doing a solo a bonus solo episode that you can get through signing up at the lowest tier on the patreon which is the dollar a month um and that goes up to uh, higher ups you can get more stuff as you go up so um yeah i'm doing a, a solo bonus episode on um did jesus actually you know physically really raised from the dead um or is it just a story is you know is it okay to be just a story and all that so if you are interested in hearing me talk about that at all go ahead and sign up to the patreon on whatever tier you want and you'll be able to yeah have access to that and like i said i'll be doing that live on facebook um yeah guys i just really hope that uh in your meekness that you meet god i don't know what else i could you know um, i don't know what's a better prayer to ask for you and the rest of the world um but yeah I hope that you love yourself and that you... Oh, I screwed up my ending. <laughs> I've been trying to say, uh, I hope that you love your neighbor as yourself and that you love yourself. Goodbye, friends.